Thank you so much, Vivi Brown, for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to speak with you. For those who might not know, but I'm sure, I'm sure many people know, uh, Vivi Brown, also Vanessa Brown is her actual name, um, is a British indie pop singer-songwriter, model, record, record producer, but also an activist. And that's kind of how we came into contact. That's kind of how we uh, met, which is quite interesting. So I think, I don't remember what year, was it 2020 or 2021? Yeah, so we met on a Channel 4 programme. Yeah, a programme called Unapologetic. Um, and I would call upon everybody to check it out because it's a really uh, fun show. But it's essentially a black uh, talk show uh, where we they bring different uh, black people in music, art, culture, politics from different perspectives to talk about different uh, issues that primarily affect black people. And yeah. that's where we met. Um, and I think uh, I think the subject was on identity. And um, we, you were talking about what your experience um, of, of being you know, a black woman in the world in all of the different ways in which uh, we move through the world. And I was uh, talking about it from my perspective. And I think we got along quite well. We, we, yeah. the, the conversation was very interesting and we, we have stayed in touch ever since. And uh, we've been trying to do this podcast for, for God knows how long. And so I'm very happy and I'm very grateful that it's happening. So thank you for joining me in that long introduction. <laughs> no, no, I'm so honoured to be on here. I, I love I love your work and um, we got on really well quite immediately. Mm. Sometimes you meet people randomly, don't you? And you, you kind of walk away and you think to yourself, oh, I think that person probably could really good friends with that person it's weird when you're an adult how you kind of like make friends you know um but yeah it was a great interesting show lots of great opinions um and yeah we've been trying to schedule this haven't we for ages so mm. it's a real thank you for having me on it's great thank you so tell tell our listeners a little bit about your background so that's one of the things that from the conversations we've had that's been so fascinating. And I think that's, you know, shaped a lot of your worldview and your insight and perspective onto many of the subjects that I'm sure we'll go on to talk about. But you you have had quite an interesting upbringing. It's quite unique. So tell us a little bit more about that. And I think that really paints a good picture to start off with. So, yeah, my parents, they came um, from Jamaica, came to this country um, via the Windrush um, generation um they are the Windrush generation um and they my mum moved to Leeds my dad moved to Northampton my dad's family were the first black family in Northampton in the 60s um and they met fell in love and then had me and five of my other brothers and sisters we moved to Northampton um in in a very rural area um and we grew up uh in an environment that was not very multicultural we kind of went to the town northampton town which over the years has become more multicultural but generally we were living in an area that was just countryside and predominantly white folks um my parents they started a private school in 1983 i genuinely think mum did it because she didn't want me to go to any other school (laughs) I think it was a form of protection and perhaps 
wanting to make sure I had the best education. But obviously, she was a teacher as well, very well educated. She had a PhD in philosophy and history. Um, Dad um, did was an accountant, and so um, they started this business, a black couple in the countryside, um, and it was incredibly unique. It still is unique. I think my mum is still the only black female headmistress who owns a private school in the whole of the UK. We've had opportunities to, you know, the BBC have got in touch with my mum and all sorts and she just says no, no, no. And I try and encourage her to do it. Why is that? Why why doesn't she want to do it? Just just wants to get on with her? Yeah, yeah, with mum, I think that she is very much proud to be black Mm. and British and Mm. proud to be a black woman. But she doesn't like it to be it be something that it it is encompassed by the her blackness. Mm. She's, very, she's very much about well, so what? Almost she's proud of it, but she's almost like I don't want it to be just about me being a black woman. I want it to be about me being just an educated person. So she has qu- quite a different view to me, where I'm all about you need to celebrate and shout about it and. Um, She's also quite private, um, and where I, I have been in entertainment and TV, my parents haven't done that, so that's a whole new world. But yeah, so I grew up seeing um, my parents do really well, um, were passionate about education. It was all about us going to like Oxford and stuff like that, and mum would say, you know, you must not be a statistic and things like that. Very, very mm. much about excellence and trying to achieve. And yeah, yeah, that's fantastic though. That that's that's such a even that in and of itself. I think so much when you hear about uh, the the context where Black Britons are grow up growing up in. I think so much of the narrative is I think still that um, you know sh- sh- not not saying that there wasn't struggle, but um, it it always is associated with challenges, difficulties, and I think that's that story is one of you know high expectation of excellence um of ambition what is that what you would you would say absolutely um mum was all about breaking the stereotypes and mm. i often get frustrated by those stereotypes that blackness has to be this monolith where you're mm. you're you grew up in an urban environment perhaps no socioeconomic all of these kind of tropes I never experienced that. And in fact, when I think about my uncles and my aunties, I don't see that in, in them either. We've got lawyers and doctors and, you know, all sorts in the family. So, yeah, I definitely think that we were all on a mission to shatter those stereotypes. And my nan, who has passed away, she was a matriarch, the matriarch who wrote a book and was very much about this kind of achieving and breaking those boxes she even went on a show and I don't know if, if you guys are listening out there know this show called Kilroy now this is exposing yeah. my no I, I think I know it and she was asked to be on a show called Kilroy because she was the first she was one of the first black women um at her age at 66 to begin a law degree she was the wow. oldest woman. so she'd been a nurse mm. And she wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and so, yeah, so she was chatting away on Kilroy. And me and my cousin went on 
she was chatting and thinking it was embarrassing. Oh, that 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 is amazing. I mean, that that is such an amazing, inspiring context to yeah. grow up in. So, I mean, how how do you think that that shaped you? Because you went on to be a singer songwriter. So, how, how did that transition happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I was always I was always obsessed with music, always loved music. It was in my blood. I was playing piano, trumpet, violin, clubs, all of it. And I wanted to be a musician from the age of five. Sounds very mm. true, but I really, <laughs> really, really, it was everything I wanted to do and everything I am. And I think mum realised that. So she really supported me. She used to drive me down to London. I used to go to Hackney every Wednesday. So I used to get a, a little piece of city life because uh, I was in a band in London then this is when I was like 15 um, she used to religiously drive me there every Wednesday and watch me roll around on the floor in my punk band so, so she was so supportive and she would be marking papers whilst I was rolling around on the floor pretending to be a rock star um, and so I think she, as we, she started to realise it was more than just a hobby, and um, and I remember she dragged me to my Oxford interview, even though I didn't want to go. Um, and I never forget that day. It was six o'clock in the morning, and my mum and auntie literally dragged me. That's and so I, great. Yeah, and I went, and it was great, and I did. I managed to get get in, and um, but mm. I I got offered a record deal. So it was it was logical. Mums could see that there was an actual career opportunity there. So she said, I'll give you one year to get a record deal. One year. Great. If you don't, you go back to uni. Uh, And then I got a record deal within a year. And that's that's how it started. So. Yeah, so the music just evolved. And I think mum. Mum just supported our dreams that, that my parents are entrepreneurs. They're, they've always followed their dreams and what they want to do. And I think they put that, they ins- put that in us. They installed that in us. So, so yeah. it's, you, you've had, you know, a great career, you know, many songs that, um, that you've written, but also, uh, created have been very popular. You know, I, I remember Shark in the Water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. I was I was humming it this morning because I was like thinking about the fact that we were speaking. Yeah, what what's interesting is that, you know, obviously more recently, um, and this might have been things you've touched upon throughout your music career, but more recently, um some of the things that you've been releasing have been have had quite uh more stronger maybe political messaging is that what you would say um what yeah yeah so what what's what sparked that um what what's um yeah what, what are your thoughts on that and what what are you hoping to uh to say with yeah that? so throughout my career right from the beginning even as a child there has always been an underbelly of an activist in me and mm. someone who has been very open about racism and my identity and the reason why it has been so deeply rooted in me is watching my parents experiences being a black couple run at private school there has been so many experiences that i've seen as a child where i have seen them experience the most overt racism 
Um, I'll give you an example. Um, in the village where my parents' school is, there are residents who used to dig holes in on my parents' land so that cars would fall into them. Um, they would blockade parents on the country lane so they wouldn't allow them to get into the drive of the school. school so so were, were these just like random people or were these like act, like act, like racist activists? Like, do you know what types of people they were? These people at the time were, it, I honestly, when I look back on it, it feels like it's 1950s or something. It, absurd um they were racist they were blatantly racist i remember a time when i sat in my mum's car and one of the residents stood staring at my mum in through the window with her with his car blocking and whispering the n-word to us over and over again so for me um these experiences as a child living in in rural Britain, where it was almost like, how dare you as a black couple have this institution? It, I, we saw it every single day. You know, my dad drives a nice car. So I would see the police, Would I've seen the police so many times stop my dad and put him on the bonnet. And my dad is like, if you meet him, he is literally like a gentleman. Like all he does is walk around in his green wellies. He doesn't want any problems. And he's just like the most calmest guy and even with the police i think he even was charming them like when it was happening to them he was very very polite and cooperative yeah so you 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 feel like that those experiences you've never really had that opportunity to to allow that to speak through your music your frustration your um anger but also your passion about you know being a, a proud black woman Absolutely. When I came into the music industry, I was afraid to show that side of me because I was trying to be almost strategic in my career moves. I wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything that would offend or intimidate. So I felt me talking about those experiences might be intimidating or offensive to to white people, basically. So I kind of hid that part of myself and kind of made songs about love and all the songs that I've written, they're definitely genuine to me as a person because black is not a monolith. You know, there are many parts of me. I don't have to just be screaming about my blackness all the time. Like I like to eat crunchy nut cornflakes and I really enjoy watching like sci-fi films. Like there's more to me than that. But I think there was an explosion in me with this record, especially after having children and being older and the movement that happened with Black Lives Matter, the shift of consciousness where there's more conversation about this. I just felt it was the right time to show this part of my identity. So your song, yeah, Am I British? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, Am I British? Yeah. So what, what, what do you think of Britishness and its relationship with Black people today? So I think I guess some people might think, you know, will completely be mortified by those experiences and that you talked about that you that you experienced and your parents experienced. But what what do you think about Britain today? Do you think that um that those things would still happen in the same way or if, if or if people would be much more uh, intervening, shocked 
um, and mortified by those kinds of things and would and would try and do something to prevent that happening again or, or hold those people accountable. I mean, do, do you do you how, how do you think about um, Britain um, in the 2020s? Good question. I think that Britain has a complex history when it comes to black individuals. It's, it's historical and um, there is a residue of generational trauma and and theft and rape and all these things. And it takes time for those things to be shared. I mean, my new song at the moment called History is the lyrics itself is shake it off in the sand, just shake it off. We're shaking off, we're shedding off that historical trauma. Black people are shaking it off psychologically, but also I think white people are shaking it off through this shift of consciousness, through education, through talking. I'm very militant in um, in uh, believing that I do think racism exists, but I, I have to be honest, I do think things are getting better. I wouldn't say that before. I was way more militant before. So what, I, what, when, did you, when did that change? When did you start to think things were getting better? Genuinely, during the Black Lives Matter movement, um, whatever political side you lean on with what that movement was and is and how authentic it is, I genuinely think that it shifted consciousness. I know with my, I, I'm married to a white man. I love him dearly. He's really hot. And <laughs> I'm, I'm a very strong woman and I fell in love with him. And he's like medieval white. He's like, proper right i love learning about you know british history through him that doesn't mm. always, isn't always revolved around slavery like those things i've learned anyway um but his but his family like even seeing them who have grown up in a village and have never have never really interacted with like black culture there had been many times where we've had these conversations pre where they they think i understand it and then after that happened, there was just a shift where there was an immediate, they were, they were really listening. And it, I just felt everywhere there was just a change where I didn't feel afraid of being the angry black woman or or being having a chip on my shoulder. Everyone was just, like you said, open and listening. And I think that's had a dramatic effect on this country. It's, I think, it. So, Britishness is complex, but I definitely think it's getting better for sure. So, there's been lots of discussion about whether or not the countryside is is racist, essentially. Mm -hmm. I know that you've thought about this and you've written about this. But I think some of the discussions have divided some people. So, I think I've I've read people, some people in the countryside, saying, um, you know, that it's it's an open space you know it's um anyone can go there or other people have said that it maybe not be it may, might not be about race but they're generally quite skeptical of city folk or new incomers um what what have you thought about that discussion and um and how there's been different responses to that whole discussion yeah i think it's generational so i get different responses from different age groups but generally i i've found that the countryside has a lot of racism it's it's 
the kind of racism that I would say it has is not necessarily this hostile blacks get out we hate you kind of racism it's more subtle it's an assumption of this particular space is not where you're supposed to belong the stereotypes of what it means to be in the country are very much linked with whiteness um land ownership um all of these kind of things don't fit in the stereotypical box of what it means to be black i've had many lovely country walks with my children being asked abruptly when are you going back to london or what what brings you here for the weekend or and when i then say that oh my house is just down the road there's a, a shock gasp um so it's almost like there's a sort of territorial um sense of ownership over what the identity of country living is i think drenched in history um and it's also when you look at when people came from jamaica and or you know through the windrush generation we naturally gravitated to cities so there's also like a like a historical reason why there might be that sense of ownership over that kind of identity. So it, it's it's a different, it's subtle, very subtle, but it's changing. And I think COVID has changed it a lot because a lot of people are, have left cities with this realization of remote work and a new type of living. So, so what do you think can be done about it? Because I think that when it is these subtle things that to some extent might just be uh, human prejudice or human assumptions how, how do you think that we can break those things down because one of the things that I worry about if I'm being honest is that what I think it's really important that we raise awareness of these things and some of the attitudes that might pervade in different parts of the country but there's yeah. also a danger I think sometimes when we almost create anxiety for black and ethnic minority people who want to go to the country because they might think oh you know are they going to experience this and and and, and therefore they're not going to feel welcome so how do we um how, how do you think we can break down those barriers really good question oh i think the first thing is education so with me i'm very involved in my children's schools um and so i there's going to be some pioneers in anything so i'm just going to have to be that person who goes in and is like counting how many books are in the library and just bringing a whole load in so i think schools the the, the few of us that are here in the countryside we are quite a, a bit of a collective to make a difference so schools and talking the other thing is i used to be quite military when an old man used to ask me those questions and now i now I think I, I'm a bit more, try to be more, more understanding and have a bit more patience with it. A bit more patience. And now the last guy that asked me, which was only a few weeks ago, we had we just ended up having a really nice chat. And oh, well, how, how was he? How Was he responsive? Or? He was lovely. He was mm. really sweet. You know, it ended up with me going, here we go again. But then it ended <laughs> up with laughing and joking. And then it just, I think, approaching it sometimes with, with warmth, have a, a good effect 
Um, I also think just in the black community, we need to shatter the idea of blackness is this monolith. And we need to be brave and just go into these spaces and be strong in our identities and and just make things happen. We just have to just just not be afraid of of any of those things and just hit it and just just face it. And no, I completely agree. You know, I think because you know, black people have been in the UK for a very long time now, and we will probably be in the UK for the rest of uh, British history. And I, you know, I I really don't want um, black and ethnic minority people to think that there's any part of the UK that they're not welcome or that that um, they won't feel is is theirs because this country is uh, their country, and the history of this island is also their history and the land is their land and i think that um i think how we what you said about education um having that sense of everyone should participate be active in being involved um and not and not have that separation i think is so important i mean just just circling back a little bit um how was your experience in 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 the music industry i mean as as a black female i know that you've written about that as well um, it would be really interesting to hear what you think, because I think for a lot of people, when they think about black people in the music industry, we know a lot of uh, famous black you know, musicians and uh, singers and rappers. And I guess black people are very huge cultural producers in the UK. And um, that may well be one of the, you know, there's sport, there's also music, there's other areas. But I think those two areas in particular are where um, I think black people, at least in popular culture, massively dominate. But in a way, there could be just because that there is that um, uh, visibility there. That doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't challenges. Um, so it'd be really interesting to hear about what you think about uh, race and the music industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I experienced a lot of subtle racism and overt racism, ranging from being on a photo shoot for a very, very, very well-known magazine and then picking up my hair and saying, what are we going to do with it? Um, to, to just feeling like in the press, my, the adjectives that were used when they were talking about a show was always diva or, or, or someone would say, oh, you're really friendly, actually. I, I, I thought that you, you were going to be a right aggressive diva before meeting me. So... There's always these kind of microaggressions and undertones that I um, experienced in, in, as a black female. Um, also watching my my white female counterparts um, soar, but having feeling like I had to work so much harder. There was, it always felt like there was a ceiling for us as black women. And I'm actually working on a book at the moment, um, just like evaluating black female musicians because if you notice their careers, we we very much kind of have a season, like we're queuing up around the block to get through the door and then we have a season and then they bring the next one in, then they bring the next one in. Um, when, when a lot of the time our white counterparts have longer careers. And I think that's to do with sometimes we're not understood. They don't know how to market us perhaps. It's a very white boys club. So, so the, psychology, the psychology of how we connect with the audience, the marketing, there's a disconnect. So yeah, I experienced quite a lot. Um, I also felt that um, when I went to America, 
I I sold a million records in the states. It just felt like it wasn't a ceiling. There wasn't this feeling of not being good enough. I've never felt good enough in this country, uh, and it's only only now. Oh, and the other thing, sorry to mention, is I wasn't making like what they would call urban music. Mm. I was making. I mean, Shark in the Water is the most urban song. The, the, I mean, it's like the pop, it's like the poppiest <laughs> song about a bloody shark. Mm. <laughs> and so I always, I was an alternative girl at heart. I loved, I was alternative in, in many things. I had an alternative life in mm. context of what was supposed to be in quotes black. So I, I also felt from the black community in Britain mm. that I wasn't being embraced because I didn't feel like I was in quotes black enough so it wasn't mm. feeling this thing coming from the white side i always i also felt this stereotypical box that was being framed around me from my own community because i was black enough and i strongly believe black is not a monolith and now mm. we have all these alternative black artists like janelle monet and there's this real disruption of breaking apart that monolith idea but i came out ages ago when mm it was different you couldn't be an alternative black girl back then really you were just a bit weird well that you know you make some really interesting points there there's two things i wanted to pick up on firstly it was the idea that um you know you felt a lot more freer in america and i think that that's a really interesting um discussion that you've touched upon there because i think in the uk oftentimes the discussion is almost like oh race in america that's where it's really bad and actually we we're not that bad here in the UK. But actually, if you look at a lot of black actors and black musicians, they feel that when they go to America, they have so much more opportunities. So what, what, what do you think about that, about when people try and say that actually, um, you know, everything's fine here and America is where all the problems are? Undoubtedly, there are massive problems in America. But actually, what, what do you think of the, you know, as your, your experiences in the UK as a black woman uh, singer? versus in America? I absolutely believe that America, I felt at home and I felt mm. free and like I could soar. And I'll tell you the reason why there's a difference between America and Britain. And this is from my mum. It's ownership and business and us having our own industry. In America, there's been a revolution. There's been um, a, a sociological wave where there's been a, 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 a way for them to have their ownership over their own economies and business, black business. And because of that, they have they had Motown, they've got BET Channel, they've got all of these kind of infrastructures. It's normal for artists to set up their own businesses and, you know, all these kind of things. In the UK, we've not had that revolution where we have we've had ownership of over our own things as much and we've kind of handed things over we've worked for but we haven't owned and my mum has always said to me watching my parents from the beginning own what they do own the things they have now even own land the fact that my parents are now landowners like I keep telling my mum and dad like you don't know what that means to be black and British and own acres of land it's incredible so for me I just feel like and I always encourage artists young artists and anyone I meet 
don't hand your masters or your work or your money or your investments over to someone else let's build communities and businesses where we are owning them and then we can support each other and raise each other up um and that is what's going to strengthen our community we'll be less fragmented we will be less reliant upon others and that's what i felt when i went to america there was just it was so inspiring everywhere i looked everyone was just fueled with this energy of ownership so i think that's the difference and yeah that's really interesting yeah i mean what because the other thing i wanted to touch upon that you mentioned is that you there was a time when you felt that there was that restriction coming from both sides from the kind of uh, uh dominant white british mainstream yeah. and some sections of the black community and whilst that's changed you are seeing a lot more um uh alternative and experimental expressions of blackness in the uk yeah. do you feel that there are um do, would you agree that there are still within the black community um sometimes a suspicion or hostility to um when people may not embody uh, a very specific idea of what it means to be black 100 <laughs> percent i say that so loudly because i had an argument with zz mills on twitter right mm. oh really oh my god yes yeah <laughs> 100% and I reject it because I want us black individuals to shed this idea of blackness like be proud of our history and our identity and where we're from and our food and our culture without feeling that if we want to break away and evolve and try new things that we are rejecting the culture like and this is an evolution here like we're evolving and so definitely i still feel it i still feel it to this day that i'm in my career in in my social groups people i meet if you don't conform to that idea of blackness then you're not you're 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 going against it even sometimes people have commented the way that i speak which i think is incredibly demeaning massively patronizing <laughs> Yeah, because, and I didn't grow up with saying like colloquial, like I didn't grow up saying all the sort of slang language. Kind of sometimes I wish I, I'm not that cool. I'm just not, really not. But that's not true. You are one of the coolest people I know. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm getting old now. So. But yeah, like that doesn't make me less black. So I definitely think there are spaces which I would love to shatter those voices where they kind of put you in that box. And the reason why I think they try and put you in that box is because they are, they're putting these limiting fences around them. Maybe that's all they have known. That's what they think is the only. They need to go and travel the world and see lots of different things and people and just open their minds that blackness is not a monolith so yeah i i can't stand those areas of the community i want them to just be destroyed to be honest sorry no i no, I, I very much agree I, to me i think you know i i i see that a lot and i think it is a shame because i just to me that's what it means to be human humans come in all diversity and shapes and expressions and experiments and i think that 
how as black people can we fully say that we're free when we are not allowed to have that same um, level of uh, broadness as other people within society and it doesn't mean that someone's less black or not black or um to me there is no essential category to be a black person um and i think that's such a i think that's such a powerful and such an important message um so we only have a few minutes left i guess i so i i guess i want to just what, what are you hoping to for the next couple of years, you know, in, in terms of where you take your artistry, where you take your thinking um, and your journey. Yeah, um, I'm going to keep creating music, but I definitely mm. think every project that I do will be a strong message. Mm. Um, it won't necessarily be drenched in like sociology or identity or anything like that. I'm really interested in synesthesia at the moment, actually. So I'm looking at... Oh, is that when you kind of see, smells and hear... Colours. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm going more down a sort of... Everything is music but linked with an exhibition. We're Mm. on and curate um, a national exhibition to do with Am I British Yet? where we want to curate a load of black artists British artists who will showcase their work so I'm doing an art council application for that at the moment and we're very close fantastic the next year I've been I have a meeting with a publisher book publisher uh, next week and they're really interested in this book that I'm writing I've, I've also written a book um which is coming out in November called am I British yet so I'd, it's linked with the album um all about oh, amazing um so I'm just you know I'm just being creative and following the 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 you know I'm free I'm free spirited and I'm 40 so in a few years I hope that my skin still no, you look great 40 is an amazing age it is God. strong beautiful interesting I mean there's so many like accounts now on Instagram that I see of like women that are aging amazingly and I think that's what that's what we want to see. I think it's a great thing. Well, I am so thankful, Bibi, for you taking your time to come on this podcast to speak about your amazing and interesting ideas. I, everybody, please check out uh, Bibi's upcoming book um, and the album and the new song, which we'll link um, in the description. And um, thank you so much. And you know, I I'm continuing to follow your work and learn from the things that you're saying. And also just the the important and interesting and unique insight that you bring from the way the intersection of the different experiences that you've had. Um, so thank you so much. Very welcome. And can I just do one shout out? Just to, we have a gig on the twenty fourth of November, but it's going to be a debate and okay. it's and a whole event where we'll be performing music. But please do come down, join the debate, be a part of the discussion on the question of am i british yet brilliant thank you for listening to equiano pod we hope you enjoyed the conversation if you'd like to see more of our content or related to tackling the complex questions around race and identity while of course championing the values of freedom common humanity and universalism then why not check out our youtube channel or consider subscribing to our substack until next time take care